0: Um, so I heard it was awesome. So thank you, Ann, for putting that together. Um, that was a very cool opportunity for us. Um, this morning, we are going to be in Chapter 2 of the Book of Philippians, still in, the book of, uh, still in Chapter 2, still in our Where's the Joy series, um, where we are looking through the Book of Philippians as Paul writes this letter in jail, writes this letter to this church in Philippi to say, look, I might be in a bad situation, but joy is not found in your circumstances. Joy is found in Christ. And so this morning, we are gonna be talking about people, about relationships. It's something that we are fascinated by, right? There's TV shows and magazines and books all about people. What is the latest celebrity doing? where did they go eat? Who picked up their dry cleaning? We love knowing about people and what other people are doing. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about people, specifically two people, two guys who Paul brings to our attention in order to better emphasize his encouragement to us in the way that we should live. So we're going to be in Philippians 2. If you don't have your Bible, um, there should be a Bible around you. You can open up to Philippians 2. We're going to be in verse 19. Um, If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible that's around you and keep it. That is our gift to you. Um, Yeah, so we're going to be in Philippians 2. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in uh, to Philippians. So will you please pray with me? God, you are glorious. God, you're holy, and you're pure, and you are excellent. Though life may be hard and we may go through trials, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your plan, God. Though there is chaos and darkness around us, we are not moved. We are not worried because we know that you are you. God, we know you are trustworthy. As we read this letter, God, as we learn and we grow, Lord, help us to find our joy and our satisfaction and our fulfillment in you. Let the joy of Christ wash over us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who doesn't know this joy, the joy of having a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that this morning, whatever walls they're put up, whatever things that are hindering them, I pray that you break those things down, and I pray that you step in and send your Holy Spirit to do a work in their hearts. God, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you for your glory. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name, amen. So we're gonna be in Philippians uh, 2 and we're gonna start in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So as we wrap up chapter 2, as we go through this series, um, this letter... Is that? It's a letter, right? When this was written, there were not, there weren't chapters, there weren't verses, there weren't paragraph breaks, there weren't headings. Those things didn't exist. This was one letter written and read in one big chunk. Okay, and so we have been spending the last couple of weeks. Um, taking it bit by bit, you know, a couple of verses at a time. And every once in a while, I think it's good to stop and kind of see the context of what's going on with the whole letter. So um, real quick, I just want to give a quick summary of chapter 2 that gets us to this point, because there's a lot in chapter 2. We've been in this chapter for a while now. Um, Really, everything in this chapter, from verses 5 through the end of the chapter, what we read this morning, is written to solidify and encourage us to live as Paul describes in verses three and four. Verses three and four are key. And if you don't remember them, if you don't have your Bible in front of you, it's verses three and four is, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So everything after those verses is really trying to help give an example, give an understanding for the people, this is how I want you to live, this is how Christian community should look like these two verses. And so in verses 5 through 11, he gives, Paul gives Jesus as an example of how to do that. And he talks about how Jesus submitted himself to the will of God, how he humbled himself to put our needs and our lives ahead of his own. Even when it would mean pain and death for him, he showed us what it meant to love and to serve. He humbled himself enough to come to earth and die on the cross for us. He showed us what it means to do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so then Paul goes on in light of verses 5 through 11, in light of what Christ did, in light of the sacrifice he made, in verses 12 and 13 he says, I want you to live out this salvation that Christ has provided for you. This new life God has called you to, live in such a way that puts others ahead of yourselves. Live out your salvation, which which ends up looking a lot like verses 3 and 4. In verse 14 and 16, Paul then gives us another example of how to live that out. Practically, he says, as you are living, as you are serving, as you are trying to put others ahead of yourselves and doing this life with other people, do it without grumbling or complaining because we are lights in the world. We we are called to reflect Christ to the world. We are called to be a light in the darkness, to share our stories, to share the gospel, to serve those around us to not always be known for what we are against, but also what we are for, to let people know that our lives have been changed by the sacrifice Christ made. And so to continue building his case, to continue giving another example of what Paul is calling us to, he gives two more examples here this morning of what, to, what this looks like. Two regular guys as examples of how to live this life out. The first one is Timothy. Now you might remember in uh, Philippians 1.1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And that's the last time Timothy's mentioned in this, ver- in this, chap- in this book up until this point. He was introduced at the beginning, but it hasn't, been sent- it hasn't been seen since. Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey. When the church sent him out, he met Timothy on his first missionary journey in the town of Lystra, which is in Galatia. So if you ever read the book of Galatians, it is written to Christians in Galatia. Um, and that's where Timothy is from. We don't know a ton about his family, and we know his mother and grandmother were Jewish, um, faithful women of the faith. We know his dad was Greek. That's about as much as we know about his family tree. Um, we do know Paul was probably the one who led Timothy to Christ, as well as his mother and his grandmother. And uh, on Paul's second missionary journey, so he loops back around, comes back to Lystra, and on his second missionary journey, he says, Timothy, I want you to come with me. I want you to come and learn. I want you to come and study with me. I want you to come and just be um, a fellow worker, a fellow uh, missionary with me. And so, from that point on, Timothy leaves and travels, and they travel together. Timothy was probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that range, when Paul takes him, when Paul calls him to go with him. Um, and they grow together. Timothy grows and matures together. We're going to start reading in our our hashtag two-year journey as we're reading through the Bible together as a church. Uh, We're going to start the book of Acts this week, at the end of the week, and you're going to see as we read through Acts, Timothy and Paul going to these different towns, traveling together. Oftentimes you'll see where Paul would go into a town and a church would get established and then he would leave to continue on. He would leave Timothy behind oftentimes to continue making sure the leadership was set if they had any questions to keep the foundation going. That's how much Paul trusted Timothy because he would let him, he would let him stay behind to lead the church. Paul had a great trust and respect for this, for this guy that he got to help almost spiritually raise. He calls him his son in the faith. Later on, in their, later on in their lives, Paul and Timothy go to Ephesus, and they stay there for three years, and they establish a church there. And then when Paul is called away, Timothy stays behind, and he becomes the pastor of that church. He leads the church in Ephesus. And so if you ever read the book um, First and Second Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy to teach him, look, you're a young pastor. This is some of the things you need to look out for. These are some of the things you need to be working on. And in 2 Timothy especially, it's one of my favorite books because it's one of the last letters that Paul writes before he's executed. And so there's this great tension of, look, man, I love you. These are the things I need you to work on, and this is probably the last time you're going to hear from me. So here's everything I want you to know. It's kind of like his last words. Um, and these are, this is the kind of relationship, like I said, in those letters, you see Paul say, you are my son in the faith. You are, you are special to me. He cared deeply for Timothy. And we see that That changed the way Timothy was. He grew and matured. Look at verse 20. He grew and matured. Paul says, look, I'm going to send you Timothy, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Of all the people Paul could send, of all the people Paul knew in Rome that he could send to the Philippians, he says, I'm going to send you Timothy because there's nobody else like him, nobody else who is going to care for you the way I care for you. Timothy was with Paul when Paul first established this church in Philippi. They've been together about 10 years at this point. So he knew the church in Philippi. He also had this relationship with them, he also had this care for them. And Paul knew Timothy would put the gospel and the people ahead of his own interests. He says, There are some here who are all about self promotion, who are all about trying to make a big deal of themselves. That's not Timothy. He is going to put your needs at the forefront, he's going to put the gospel at the forefront. You see, Paul not only wanted, to, wanted the people to care for one another, he wanted them to live this self-sacrificing life and to have this deep relationship and community. And it's easy to just say, do this. But Paul wanted them to see what that looks like in action. He wanted them to see, this is how you were supposed to do it. But Paul was chained up to a guard. He wasn't going anywhere. And so in, in his stead, he sends Timothy because he knew Timothy had integrity. He knew Timothy would lead by example. He uses this phrase here, there is no one like him. Literally means there is no one of equal soul to mine. There is no one who feels the way I feel, who who thinks the way I think. No one who cares as deeply about you as I do other than Timothy. There's a special relationship there between the two of them. He goes on in verse 22 and he says, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me, served with me in the gospel. Like I said, Timothy has been serving alongside Paul for close to 10 years at this point. Paul has been training him up, giving him various tasks and responsibilities. He has taken the time to teach Timothy and to help him grow and mature as a Christian. And throughout all of this time, as Paul has been training him, as Paul has been, they've been working alongside one another, Timothy has been proving his worth. He's been showing himself to be a man of integrity. This phrase here, prove his worth, is the idea of where you would take gold and you would put it into the fire. And the fire would be so hot it would burn off the imperfections, it would burn off anything that wasn't pure gold. So when you got it back, it was proven, it was worthy, it was true. And that's what Paul is saying about Timothy is he's been in the fires. He's been with me in all of these different situations, and he's come out and he is pure. He is, he is full he is fully devoted to what we are doing. He had served with Paul, he had been with Paul as Paul was being chased from town to town, as Paul was getting beaten up and thrown in jail. Timothy was there with him. Timothy was the one to support and serve his mentor. As one commentator said, "It Timothy in Timothy we see a man with a servant's heart, a servant's mind, and a servant's training." Paul had taken the time had been very intentional with Timothy. He said, I see something in you, and I want to see you grow. Paul gives us this description of Timothy as one who is a humble servant with a heart for the gospel. And really, it's the thing that really changed Timothy's life, the thing that really shaped and molded him was Paul. Timothy had no formal education. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go and get his master's. He just spent time serving. He spent time working alongside Paul and learning from him. This should be an example for us. This should be an encouragement for us to find those people in our lives who are going to help us grow. Find your own version of Paul. Find somebody that you see and you say, you know what, I want to learn from that person. I want to learn, I want to be a Christian like that person is a Christian. That person has a a strong prayer life. I want to learn how to develop that. That person is faithful to being in the word and being part of the church and serving. That person is humble. I want to learn how to do that. Find those people. Find someone you can learn from, someone you can learn with and serve alongside to help you mature as a Christian. Every one of us needs that. I've been so blessed. I've told you guys multiple times. I've been blessed in my life to have a whole bunch of different guys who have poured into my life. There's one uh, in particular where uh, I was at a softball game Church softball game and this guy Mike hits the ball and he hit it, it was in a park so there weren't walls but this thing should have been a home run in anywhere. He just hit, a, hit the ball a mile. Should have been an easy home run. And he's rounding first and he's heading to second and you see him kind of stumble as he's running and he's grabbing his leg and he takes, he rounds second and he's hobbling, basically crawls his way to third. And they call him safe and then he kind of rolls off to the side and he's in excruciating pain. He basically blew something out in his quad. We help him up, and we help him to go sit off to the side. And we got his leg up, and he's got an ice pack on his leg. And you can see his face is beet red. And he's holding back, saying some words that you probably don't want to say at a church softball game. And he's in just excruciating pain. And Mike has three sons. And they were all pretty young at the time. And they come up to him. They had no idea what was happening. They had been off playing, and they just see their dad. So they come up, and it's, hey, dad, dad, you want to go play catch? Dad, let's, dad, did you see this cool thing? Look, watch me climb the tree. And just being guys, like being kids, wanting to play with their dad. Their dad is in excruciating pain. And I watched Mike and the way he loved his sons and the patience and care he had for those boys in that moment. It would have been so easy for him to just snap on them because, you know, he couldn't stand on his leg. And the patience he had for them in that moment, I saw that. I was 17 or 18 at the time. And I saw that and I said, that's a guy I want to be around. That's a guy I want to learn from. I want to learn how to be a dad like him. I want to learn how to have patience like him. And so I said to him, Mike, I just, I just want to be around you. I just want to learn from you. And he let me just study the Bible with him. He let me just ask questions and be in his life and learn from him. And I could tell story after story about guys who have just allowed me to just step in and just say, hey, I, I just want to learn. Can you just help me? And guys who have seen something in me and said, you know what, Tim, I want to help you grow. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a long list of men and women who have poured into me. Relationships like that are important. We need to find those people who will pour into us, who we can learn from. Now, at the same time, there's some of you here this morning who need to find somebody to be doing the pouring into. There's some of you here this morning who need to find somebody, who need to look around and say, you know what, I see potential in that person, I want to see them grow. I want to spend time with them. want to find someone to train them up someone to help grow and raise up the next generation of leaders of the church because that's the only way this is gonna work we need to be discipling we need to be pouring into the next generation getting more people ready to send out I want us to be a church that sends people out to do what God is calling them to do but that means we have to be intentional with our relationships and it's not always you have to go find. If you're someone older, you need to go find someone younger. Or if you're younger, you got to go find someone older. You could be the same age. It could be, look, you're more mature than me in certain places. I'm more mature than you in certain places. Let's learn from each other. Let's grow together. But we have to be intentional with these relationships. There is a lot of great potential and great, mature, thriving Christians in this church. Take advantage of that. Find those people. Find that person. That you want to learn from, you want to learn alongside, and go have that conversation? Timothy is a great example of how relationships with Christians can prepare us for the life God has for us, for the good works he is calling us to. It is, we get prepared for those things in relationship. The other person Paul gives as an example here is Epaphroditus. You see that in verse 25 through 30 through the end. There's not a whole lot known about Epaphroditus. Um, If you skip over to 4.18, chapter 4, verse 18, you find out that Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to Paul with some financial support for Paul. So basically, he was part of the church in Philippi. They sent him to Paul and said, stay there. Bring some money so that you can buy some things for Paul. And then I want you to... He was sent to just stay there as like a one-way ticket kind of thing. Like, go stay, be with Paul as long as Paul needs you. That's, where, that's what you're going to do. It's commonly thought, though, that Epaphroditus was also the one who brings the letter back to the church. Because as we see, Paul says, I think it's better that he come back to you. And so he's the one who brings this letter back to the church in Philippi. Clearly, he had built a special relationship with Paul. He knew Paul before he went. And then being in Rome, getting to serve alongside Paul and serve Paul, he stayed there And made his life there. His plan was to stay there as long as Paul needed him to. You don't do that for someone you don't have a relationship with. Now, the way Paul talks about Epaphroditus is so special. Look at verse 25. He says Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. He says he's my brother my brother in christ we have a deep bond and affection for one another because we both are striving for the same thing we are both striving to become more and more christ-like we are brothers in the faith he's my fellow worker he worked alongside paul to minister to the go- minister the gospel to those in rome which probably means i never really thought of this until i read this here is that you know we've talked about how paul was always chained to a guard He's under house arrest, and he's perpetually chained to a guard. Epaphroditus is hanging out. So those guards probably not only had to deal with Paul, but had to deal with Epaphroditus too. So there was no way they were getting out of not hearing the gospel. Epaphroditus was his fellow worker. He was doing work in Rome, not only with those guards, but other places in Rome. Epaphroditus is trying to further the gospel. and He says, he's my fellow soldier, committed to fighting the spiritual darkness of the world with Paul. He's my fellow soldier. He's not just working for the gospel. He is fighting a life and death battle for the gospel. These are the words Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus. This is really all we know about him, that he's a brother, a worker, and a soldier. That's a pretty impressive legacy. That's a pretty impressive way to be forever remembered in the scriptures. What are the words of the people who know you, when they talk about you, what are the words they use to describe you? What's the kind of legacy you're leaving? By the way that you live, what impressions are you leaving behind? How do people, when they think of you, what are the words that come to mind? What kind of legacy, what kind of phrases are people using? Paul also says he's your minister and your messenger and your minister. He was sent not only to tell Paul how the church was doing, but he was sent with the finances to be there for Paul. Again, it speaks to the care and the love that the church had for him to send someone, to send someone with finances and to send one of their own to be with him. And we see Paul talk about how the church heard Epaphroditus was sick and it distressed Epaphroditus. It says, look in verse uh, 26, He has been longing for you all and has been... been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death." Epaphroditus, somewhere in this ministry, got sick. So sick, he almost died. And what was Epaphroditus worried about? He was worried because the church knew he was sick, and they were worried for him. He was worried about their worry, and not his own well-being. That's the kind of man he was. He was humble, he was putting others ahead of himself. He was distressed because they were distressed. Paul says, this is a great man, a great servant of God. So I'm going to send him back to you so he can bring this letter so that he can be with you and you guys don't have to worry about him. But when you get him back, look at verse 29. When he comes back, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him with all joy. Be excited. Be happy. I'm okay. Be excited you get your brother back. He risked his life for the work of Christ, Paul says. He sacrificed his own well-being to do what God had called him to do. He almost died to do what God was calling him to do. Who in your life needs to be honored? Who in your life has served you, has poured into you, has been there to support you, and needs some recognition? Needs to know that what they did in your life mattered. I want you to think of that person, or if you got two or three of them, and I want you today, not this week, not later on, today, I want you to reach out to that person. Shoot them a text, shoot them an email, give them a call. I know phones still actually, we use them to talk actually still. Give them a call, reach out to them, and just say, hey, you know what, you matter, and you did a great work for me, thank you. We need to spend time to think about the people who have helped bring us to where we are, and encourage them and thank them. Let them know how they've affected us. Epaphroditus was a man who served Paul while he was in jail. He did prison ministry. That's that's what he did. That's a hard work. That's a hard and dangerous work. It wasn't easy. It wasn't safe. And yet he did what God called him to do. He sacrificed even his own health to be there for his friend. He was dedicated to working alongside Paul for the gospel. He used the gospel for his motivation for the way he lived his life and his calling. The good news of the gospel was the thing that motivated him. You see, these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they aren't superheroes. They aren't anything, they're they're just people. As we read through the Bible, as we're doing this two-year journey, we're seeing guys like Abraham and Moses, and we see all of these characters, these people of the Bible, and we hold them up as these pillars of faith. And yeah, they are faithful men and women of God, but they're not superheroes, they're just people. They have their flaws and their failures, just like we do. They weren't perfect, they were just faithful. They understood the gospel message and how it changes everything, how the gospel changes everything everything. How the good news of the fact that because we are sinners and rebels, we are set up to spend eternity in hell. But God steps in with his love and his grace and mercy, and he steps in and sends his son to die for us, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. To die a death we deserve to die so that we can have a right relationship with God. So that we can no longer have to be sinners and rebels, but sons and daughters of God. And he saves us from eternal torment. And that good news doesn't just extend to, yeah, it's great, we're saved, we don't have to deal with hell anymore, we could spend eternity with heaven, but it changes things in the here and now. The gospel message says, look, you've been saved from, the, saved from your own sin. You've been saved from the wrath of God, but it changes us now. It changes the way we see people now, the way that we interact with the world around us. If you're a Christian, because you have experienced grace, You have gotten what you didn't deserve. You can show grace to others because you know what it means to experience grace. You know what it means to experience getting something that you couldn't earn, you couldn't do on your own because you've been saved from the wrath of God. That's grace. And so you, better than anyone, can show grace to others. You have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. They're no longer held against you. You are no longer identified by the sins you have committed or the sins that have been committed against you. You are a new creation in Christ. And so because you've been forgiven, you can show forgiveness. You can have compassion. Because you know the truth that there is a God who made you and who knows you and who loves you, you can share that truth with others. He loves you enough to send his son to die for you. That should change your relationships with the world around you. That should change the way we act, the way we think. It should change whether or not we're, going to, we're willing to share the gospel with others because we know we have this great, awesome truth. We have the best piece of information you could possibly have. So don't just hold on to it and keep it to yourself, but share it with others. When you find something that you really like, when you find a new restaurant, when you find a new place to get your hair cut, when you find a new thing that you really like, you tell other people about it. You share that with other people. Think about on Facebook and Twitter. Think about, oh, you see a funny picture, or a funny video, or a good article, and you share it with people. You share it and say, this is interesting to me. I want you to know about it. Think about how how far the gospel would reach if we were that if we share the gospel as easily as we share cat videos. Think about how far the gospel would reach if we actually were intentional with sharing and telling people, this changed my life and I want it to change yours. These guys weren't perfect. They have their flaws and their failures. But these were people who knew the truth of the gospel and let it affect their lives. They were intentional with their relationships paul left an impression on timothy he helped timothy mature and grow he helped train him up and get him ready who in your life can you do the same for who in your life can you be helping raise up and train and get ready who in your life can you help grow and mature in their faith
1: or maybe you need someone
0: like that in your life everyone needs someone like that in their life Who in your life do you see that you could say, you know what, there's a strong man or woman in my life who is faithful. Go approach them. Just go say, hey, I just want to spend some time with you. I just want to learn from you. Be intentional about your relationship, about your friendship with that person. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, these people were intentional with their relationships. They were considerate of others. Timothy cared for the church in a special and unique way. He had a heart for the church. Epaphroditus hung out and served Paul while Paul was being chained up to a guard. They put the needs of others ahead of their own. And as I said before, this all points us back to verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus had this kind of mindset in him to put others ahead of his own well being when he came to earth to die for us. Paul had this mindset. Timothy and Epaphroditus had this kind of mindset. We too are called to have this kind of mindset amongst ourselves. Let's pray.